Turn your Bibles, please, to the uh, sixth chapter of John. John chapter 6, and we'll pick up with verse 5 here. John 6. talk about supporting missions financially by faith promise. And uh, Robert Hall Glover, who is a famous missionary statesman, says he believes that this passage that we're reading here uh, contains the principles of that approach to giving better than any other passage. We'll see what he means as we go along here. Uh, Notice first here the situation of the multitudes. In verse 5, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, uh, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, uh, when you read the other gospels, Jesus has been out there quite a while with these people. They had many needs. Uh, They needed healing, many of them, and he healed a lot of them. They needed teaching. And he taught, now they need food. They've been out there quite a while. They're very hungry. And uh, let's let that uh, group represent the much larger group in the world that needs many things. They need teaching. They need healing. They need help with all kinds of things. But their greatest need is for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for knowledge of how they can be right with God. Uh, and... Uh, uh, we want to try to meet every need we can, but we particularly want to try to meet that need of the bread of life for them. Now, uh, great company. We're talking about how many how many people in the world? Uh, six and a half billion, something like that. How many of those are Christians? Well, maybe two billion make any claim whatsoever to be. How many of those are real Christians? Who knows? But folks who wrestle with that estimate maybe 700 million, but still that's, at least four billion don't even claim to be Christians, and uh, those uh, a great majority of those would fall into the unreached people groups who've never even heard. So we want to want to try to get the word out there. Now notice how Christ responds. He lifts up his eyes and sees them. He sees these people with all their need, and we want to do the same thing. Les Thompson, a missionary we had years ago, defined a missionary like this: someone who never gets used to the thud of heathen feet on their way to a Christless eternity. Never gets used to that. And we mustn't let ourselves ever get used to that. Now, uh, he really saw them, and as we heard earlier, you know, how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? Uh, we've We've got to get the word out there in every way that we can. And uh, There are a lot of different ways of doing it, uh, from radio to uh, today, they're using the cell phones to get it into countries you can't even get it into otherwise, and so on. And uh, But people going and, and working with these people and equipping them, and then them being equipped to go out and reach their own, and all, real crucial. Now, notice the question of Christ here. He says to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? How can we meet 
this need, Philip. Now notice why he asked the question. It says, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. It's exam day. Philip's been with Jesus. He's heard him teach. He's seen him do miracles and all. Uh, learned anything, Philip? He said this to test him, for he himself already knew what he did. That's what a missions conference is for a congregation. It's exam day. The preacher's been preaching. The Sunday school teacher's been teaching. Okay. You learn anything? That's what we got here. Exam day. Now, uh, think of uh, if, if he'd asked that to uh, um, an atheist, how would the atheist have responded? The atheist said, how many people are there? Woo, we. How much money do we have? Ooh, ooh. Can't do it. Better send them away. Surely Philip will do better. Verse 7, Peter answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each one to get a little. Philip said, how many people are there? Ooh, ooh. How much money do we have? Ooh, ooh. Can't do it. Better send them away. Just like the atheist. I think I could have responded. He could have said, how many people are there? How much money do we have? What? Lord, we've got you. And I remember when we ran out of, of uh, wine at the wedding in Cana, that you created wine. Lord, I'll tell you what I'd like to do. I'd like to volunteer to distribute all the food you'd care to create. Now, that would have been passing the test, but he plunked it. Well, uh, now we uh, get the presentation by the little boy, the lad, in verse 8. Uh, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And when you read the other Gospels, you find that Jesus said, uh, have, uh, it says, uh, y'all go out and see if there's anybody got any food. And so here the disciples are going around, anybody got any food? And here's this little boy. Uh, he had five, it says, uh, it says they had five barley loaves and two fish. Now when I read that, uh, five barley loaves, uh, uh, I think of loaves of French bread, but you read the Bible dictionary, these barley loaves kind of like our, pan, our pancakes or flapjacks. Or so uh, it says he had two small fish in other, in other Gospels. So what he had was he had two fish burgers uh, and an extra piece of bread. That's what he had, two, two fish burgers and an extra piece of bread. Now, uh, uh, the, uh, you see what happened. This little boy is at home, and this crowd goes by and says, Where are you all going? He says, We're going and a friend called him and said, Jesus is outside of town. Everybody's going. Come on. Come on. He runs in the house. Mama, Jesus is outside of town. Everybody's going. Can I go? Well, well, well who's going? Well, the Benjamin's next door. Well, well you need something to eat. And she picks these two little fish burgers, next piece of bread, and puts them in a brown bag, and off he goes. And he, he gets out there, and, and uh, you got the disciples going around, and uh, <clears throat> find anybody got any bread? And uh, Andrew, anybody got any food? And this little boy, yes, sir. Got, got two fish burgers right here. Yes, sir. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, you feel like he volunteered. Maybe he starts sneaking off and Andrew says, Grab that kid! But you feel like it. You feel like he's volunteered. I mean, uh, he could have think how he could have responded. My, my mama wanted me to have it. That's not going to help that crowd. You know, he could have missed it. And we can miss what God's prepared to do with us. Now, uh, notice now the multiplication by Christ. In verse 10, it says, uh, The... Uh, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. 
Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. Uh, when did the multiplication take place? Did the multiplication take place while the food was in Jesus' hands, the disciples' hands? Uh, when did it take place? Robert Hall Glover, that missionary statesman I was talking about, he wrestled with that in his book, and he says, uh, he says, and my own conviction is they were not all multiplied while they're still in Jesus' hands, for obviously he would, he could not have held any such amount of food at one time. He says there were 5,000 men plus women and children. So how many people are we talking about? 15,000, 20,000 people? Man, if he feed all over, they had a mountain of food around them. So it couldn't have taken place all while in Jesus' hands. It says the same reason the multiplication could not have taken place while the loaves remained in the hands of 12 disciples. We believe, he says, it occurred in the very instant and act of giving away by the disciples of what appeared to be the last bit they had. As they kept on giving away, it kept on multiplying. If they'd stopped at any point, it would have stopped multiplying. There is that that scattereth, says Proverbs, and yet increases. There is that that withholdeth more than is meat, more than is proper, but it tendeth to poverty. Well, that's an interesting idea of when the multiplication took place. Now, uh, notice who he used. He used the disciples in verse 11. Jesus took the loaves. When he gave given thanks, he distributed those who were seated, the disciples. So, so also the fish as much as they wanted. Uh, uh, he gives to them, and then uh, they, they give to the others. The disciples do when you see the other gospels. They, he gives to the disciples, and they give to the others. Now, you know what? Uh, this is somewhat the position we're in, the position the disciples were in. It's somewhat the position we're in when we start thinking about supporting missions by faith promise. What do you mean? Suppose Jesus, when he got his two loaves uh, from the little boy, and he says, uh, the two fish burgers, he says to the, his disciples, how many of that crowd over there do you want to take on by faith? Say what? How many of that crowd do you want to trust me to provide for through you? Uh, Thomas says, let me see that sack. He said, two. Uh, Philip said, huh, 20. James said, huh, 200. Peter said, hmm, 2,000. Something like that when we start talking about giving by faith. Uh, or, Lord, how many do you want me to trust you to provide for through me? Guide me, Lord. I'll trust you, but guide me as to how many. Uh, and I'll trust you to supply through me for those. Here's a, there's a book called uh, God's Miraculous Plan of Economy by uh, Jack Taylor, Baptist pastor, some years back. And uh, it says, We are to give not according to our apparent wealth, but according to God's actual wealth. It is here that we encounter two kinds of giving, what he calls reason giving and revelation giving. I'd rather use the term reason giving and giving by divine guidance. But anyway, it says uh, most folks give whatever they give according to what they can afford. Reason giving depends upon human calculation for determining the amount to be given. One surveys his own account of his account. He said, well, let's see, I have this much, so I believe I can afford to give this much. God is not consulted. Only the human reason determines how and how much is to be given. The other kind of giving, 
giving by divine guidance, let's say, takes into account what is in his account upon which we can draw. He says, I'll never forget when we as a congregation began to get in on that kind of giving. They were having a building campaign, and he was wrestling with his own commitment to it. He says, have you ever tried to how about God? He prayed and said, God, how about $1,000? He had no idea we'd get the $1,000. No sense of peace, no sense of guidance. So he said, God, how about $2,000? No sense of guidance, no peace. So he said, in sheer desperation, he said, God, how much? So the figure came to my mind five times the original amount, so $5,000. He said, I tried to blame it on the devil. Uh, on my imagination. He said, I couldn't get away from it. He said, that's what our family committed themselves to give. And he said, God, you know the story. God enabled us to do what he revealed we should do. In fact, we were able to go above and beyond to the glory of God. Praise the Lord. But once we'd given according to revelation, not according to reason. The overall results throughout the membership were astounding. Folks walked into a financial miracle when they started giving according to God's account, not according to their account. Here's a letter I got from a lawyer in my congregation some years back. Uh, he says, uh, Dear Frank, this is to reiterate our experience with faith promise for world missions. At the time of making our faith promise commitment in 1979, we decided on an amount and then waited to see if the Lord provided that amount for us to give to satisfy our faith promise commitment. We waited all year. In 1980, my wife and I became convinced that in 1979, we'd not made a faith promise at all, just simply made a promise. We had not stepped out on faith to trust God to provide the amount of our faith promise commitment. Uh, we, uh, as a result, in 1980, we decided to double our 1979 commitment, but additionally, we decided to trust God to, for the amount. We divided the amount of the promise by the number of weeks in the year and began immediately to give the weekly amount of our annualized faith promise commitment. I've just recently received our CPA's figures reflecting our income for the calendar year 1980. My income has increased by more than 10 times the amount of our faith promise for 1980. Additionally, we have just made our 1981 faith promise commitment in which we decided to increase our faith promise commitment by 30% over our 1980 commitment. The very next week, we received notification from the mortgage company who holds the first mortgage on our home that our monthly payment would decrease. The amount of the decrease was almost exactly the amount by which we had decided to increase our faith promise commitment. Perhaps this is not everyone's experience. However, God has consistently demonstrated to our family the truth contained in his word in Luke 6:38. Given it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. I, uh, <clears throat> went to seminary, uh, not a Christian. Uh, always good if you can become a Christian before you get out of seminary. That's always good. Uh, my problem was that I, I believed all about Jesus, but I didn't understand the difference between believing about him and trusting in him. And I had come to a point of surrender in the service where for the first time in my life I was willing to do God's will even when it conflicted with mine. I got the feeling he wanted me to go to seminary. I said, wait a minute, I'm an over engineer, but I, I couldn't shake that feeling. So when I got out of service, I went to seminary. My motive was partly uh, I believe he wants me to do it and partly I've been so bad if I'm going to get to heaven, I'm going to have to be a preacher. And uh, 
I had totally missed that salvation is by grace. Well, after a year in seminary, God opened my eyes to the fact that salvation is by grace. And I was amazed at grace. Are you amazed at grace? What? Christ paid in full for all of my sins, and all i got to do is surrender my will to him and put my trust in him, and the matter's settled, and I can know it. I went around seminary shouting, you don't do that in Presbyterian seminary. And, uh, man, uh, boy, I was so excited. And, and I, I was grateful, and I want to express my gratitude, and I didn't know how, and I, I, I was already in seminary, and, and what else do you do? And I, I decided to increase the percentage I was giving. I was tithing. I'd been taught to tithe as a child. I'd been doing it even in the service there. And uh, so I, I started trying to increase the amount I was giving. It wasn't hard. I was on the GI Bill. I was pastoring a church on the weekends. Uh, one weekend a month, I was Naval Air Reserve. So I just jumped the percentage on up some. Then I got out of seminary, started Broadway Church. The salary was $300 a month. Uh, they uh, increased my salary when I got married. Got married. And then we had uh, three children in two and a half years. And, and uh, this area of giving got to be a tension area between my sweet wife and me. And she said, this is ridiculous. You can't give like you want to give and have children. You've got you to gotta make the decision. Well, uh, I found the best thing for me to do wasn't to say a lot, but to pray a lot. If I prayed hard enough, when it came time to increase the percentage, she was willing to go along with it. But then we had that third baby coming in, in uh, April and in, uh, in November when we are going to make our commitment for next year. And she said, look, we cannot increase the percentage. If anything, we've got to decrease it. The car is in shambles. You've got to do something about the car. The baby is due in March. I mean, April. The last baby was, was uh, $500 just to get out of the hospital. There's no way. I didn't say anything. I just prayed. And sure enough, when it was time to make the commitment, she was willing to increase the percentage. But with many prophecies of financial doom, <laughs> that, was in, that was in December and January when that pledge began, a car dealer got converted and joined the church. And I was discipling him. I was meeting with him weekly for lunch. And I was driving out to meet with him in March, and it was raining. I remember because the car leaked. And the windshield wiper didn't work very well, and the tires were like glass. And I was discussing that with the Lord. I said, Lord, you got to keep this thing running. I can't get it fixed. I don't even know how I'm going to get the baby out of the hospital next month. Well, we went to lunch in his car. He really didn't know the shape my car was in. We sit there and said, you know, I'd like to do something if you let me do it my way. I said, what is that? He said, I'd like to furnish you with a new car. I said, be his car, but I drive it. He said, all you got to do is turn it in at the end of the month and uh, end of the year, and uh, I'll you know, keep oil and gas and turn it in at the end of the year, and I'll, I'll furnish you with another new car, and you can take, I'll take your car and pick it up and sell it and give you the money. What do you think? I said, that'd be nice. That would be nice. <laughs> I, I drove home brand new station wagon. Well, a month later, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, a month later, the baby came, and while my wife was still in the hospital, and before I had to pay for the baby, he called me up and said, hey, I just sold your car. Come get the money. I went, it was $500. Went to pay for the baby. It's a $300 baby. It's a cheaper baby. And then they understand that. We wound up a new car, a new baby, and $200. Now, my wife was stubborn, but she wasn't stupid. And she said, the Lord did that. I said, yes, he did. When we want to play it next year, she wanted to play everything we had. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> well, I could go on by the hour of that. I'm sure you could, too, a lot of you. I really... I think this whole area gives it a very important area. I believe I see people grow more spiritually as they learn to trust God in this area and step out and just see what he does. It's a real wonderful area for growth. Uh, and, uh, you know, you think about uh, uh, the disciples here. From, uh, uh, and, you know, think about that crowd there. Jesus said, well, Peter, you take this group over here and, and uh, 
danger go over here and so on. Well, the crowd's a lot larger, a lot more spread today. But God still directs. You go here, you stay here, you go there. He'll guide and direct as we ask his leading and seek it from him. And that needs to be our attitude. Uh, well, think of uh, how the disciples could have responded. They, they could have, when they got their portion, they could have said, uh, this doesn't make sense. I'm just going I'm just going to eat what I've got, and if there's anything left over, I'll distribute it. <laughs> you know, no, I suppose six of them, I suppose they had, they'd all brought their own lunch, and then six of them decided to share theirs, and six of them didn't or something. We want to all do this together, you know. And, uh, uh, years ago, there was a, a Life magazine came out with a picture in it, and there was this huge wheat field, and people were going into wheat field late afternoon in every direction. What happened was a little boy... Uh, there and had wandered out uh, into the wheat field, and once he got out there, nobody could see him, and he couldn't see the house. And it was going to freeze that night, and if they didn't find him, he was going to die and freeze to death. And and uh, they, people just going every direction trying to find him. And, and then the next scene showed early morning, and gosh, it looked like half the county was there just going every direction. Then the next picture showed him joining hands and sweeping across this great field. As soon as they did that, they found the boy. He was dead. Next picture showed him in his daddy's hands, and his daddy said, Oh, if we'd only all join hands soon. That's what we want to do here. All join hands in this wonderful, wonderful mission uh, that you're engaged in here. Well, notice the results here in verse 11. It says, uh, He took the loaves, when he gave them thanks, he distributed those who were seated, so that also, and also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they had eaten their fill... He told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. The need was met. The multitude were filled there. Uh, the multi- notice the, uh, notice, there's no lack of resources. God's our resource. And we want to learn to exercise faith. And God says, and Paul's challenging the church in Corinthians to give to uh, uh, some funds he's taking up to help the poor Christians in Jerusalem and he challenges them in 2 Corinthians 5 he says God is able, God will make all grace all his divine resources abound toward you so that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work notice he's our resource God is able to make all grace all resources abound toward you and uh the no lack of resources, lack of appropriation. And the multitude became convinced that Jesus was who he claimed to be because of this. Verse 14, it says, When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. He is the Messiah. And so on. When God's people draw on God's power, the world around sits up and takes notice. Look what's happening there. And uh, the disciples, they were fed and they were fruitful. And can't you see that little boy going home? Mama! Mama, you won't believe what happened to those two fish burgers. I bet he got up the next morning. Fix me two more. I'm going to see if he do it again. <laughs> that kid is never the same. Well, he could have missed it. And we can miss what God's prepared to do with us. Well, we're in the point of Philip. It's exam day, and he's saying, how can we meet the need? How can we feed? And by way of response, he wants some of us to go. Short term or long term. Speak, Lord, your servant here. He'll guide and direct. Now, all can pray and all can give. You say, well, I don't have things. Well, uh, you got him. What can you trust him to channel through you? 
make a commitment and then try to come up with it, but be amazed at what he may do enabling you to to meet this uh, need. Uh, just be amazed. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> my son-in-law is passed out in Arizona, PCA church there. He went out there 11 years ago to plant a PCA church, Billy Barnes. And, uh, last September, a year ago, uh, you know, August, his daughter, Francie, wanted to go to Auburn, and so we went down to Auburn and checked out what was involved for her to go there the next year when she graduated. And they explained it'd be $38,000 a year out-of-state tuition for her to go to Auburn. But if she moved to Alabama and got a job why, uh, for a year, then, then she wouldn't have to pay out-of-state tuition. We said, well, that's the deal. Move here, stay with us for a year, get a job, and then go to Auburn. So that was the plan, but they had a couple more days here, and I said, Billy, uh, Pete Hannah here in town is a friend of yours, a friend of mine. I try to get with him about once a month, once a month and encourage him, see how he's doing. Would you like me to call him and see if he can go to lunch? Yeah, so we went to lunch. And he said, what do you all been doing? We told him about going down to Auburn. He said, well, what does she want to major in? And uh, he, he said, nursing. He said, well, you know, Sanford's got a good nursing school. And said, uh, why don't you have her check it out? And if she'd like to go to Sanford, uh, I'll pay her way through college. The rest of the story, Billy had made a faith promise to his church, and then his son had gotten tackled, and his spleen was burst playing football, and he had been in the hospital some, and then his daughter, her throat was seized up, and they had to rush her to the hospital, she was a cheerleader. So he'd had some financial expenses he hadn't anticipated, and when he got ready to pay his faith promise to the church with missions, he didn't have the money, but he had started setting aside some money for her to go to college, and he thought, well... I do have the money to pay the faith promise. And he'd taken that money and given it to pay the faith promise. And look what God did. Let's have prayer. Father, what a privilege to be involved in the greatest enterprise in the world. What a privilege to have you as our resource as we tackle this. And Father, we want to exercise faith. We want to step out. We want to see you begin to do some amazing things. Thank you for this church for its commitment to missions, and we ask that you would bless now as we wrestle with this personally in Jesus' name. Amen.